Welcome to the IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast for couples who struggle with infertility and want to fulfill their dreams of becoming parents. To access previous episodes packed with ideas, solutions, and tips that actually work, head over to Dr. Chapman's IVF podcast on iTunes. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au. Hi, this is Professor Chapman. Recently we've been doing some Facebook Live sessions where I've been answering questions from the listeners and participants. What you're about to hear now is some audio of those segments and I hope they'll be useful for you. Do most people who undergo IVF have to be on bed rest and does that really help? Or should she just lessen her movement and not really lie down in bed? Okay. Obviously, this is an area that's been studied very widely because, you know, if it made a difference, we'd be asking everybody to do the same thing. And then certainly there have been lots of studies, particularly in the early days of IVF, where people were put to bed. Now, the studies show absolutely no benefit from anything other than being normal. I mean, all I say to patients is, you know, don't ride a horse. (laughs) <laughs> don't go skiing physical exercise where you you have the potential for a big hard knock maybe that might make a difference but in all other ways the evidence is very very clear movement makes no difference and in fact lying around in bed thinking about am i pregnant am i not is actually probably a very bad thing <laughs> so get on with your life is my advice don't don't uh, believe that you're going to do any better because you lay down uh, for the you know for the two weeks after you've had your embryo transfer, or even for the hour after an embryo transfer. Uh, I'll tell you a funny story that when I worked in Italy, I went there, we went there every six weeks or so um, and did a group of patients. After about the second round of, of that I went there, I discovered that the patients that had that collected eggs from the day before and had put embryos back two days later, and they were still there three days later in the hospital. And I went, hold on, the evidence is not there that this is going to make any difference. And then I discovered that the gynecologist who owned the hospital had a reason for, <laughs> for keeping them there, which you can all work out. <laughs> he made money from it, but <laughs> it made no difference. It, it made the women feel good, <laughs> but it made him a rich man. What could be the reasons why the endometrium is not receptive when implanting the embryo? Yeah, endometrial receptivity uh, is one of the big question marks, causes of failed implantation. The basic physiology processes that occur in a menstrual cycle um, that precede implantation are the changes, structural uh, changes in the lining of the womb. I mean, God evolved us uh, women (laughs) to um, have a period every month And that period was because the cycle was unsuccessful in producing a pregnancy. The primary reason for a menstrual cycle is to release an egg to produce a pregnancy. That's what what we were set up to do. And in that evolution, what's happened is that the lining of the womb has been programmed to reach a point around five to seven days after ovulation to be receptive to the embryo that arrives in the uterus. The things that make it receptive um, are the glands, glandular tissue that have secretions, secretions that contain growth 
factors, vitamins, good nutrients to foster the growth of the embryo in the uterus, but also to encourage it to attach and bury itself in the endometrium. That process requires progesterone to drive it. And so when you ovulate, your progesterone levels go up and the role of that progesterone coming from your ovaries is to make those changes happen in the lining of the womb that are appropriate and synchronized to the arrival of your embryo. Is a possibility that if an embryo arrives and the, the endometrium is out of synchrony, either it's grown too quickly or moves too quickly through its phases of development or it's going slowly and the embryo arrives, uh, it's a bit like a, a, a seed being put into a dry paddock rather than a fertile wet paddock, you know, where it's been rained on and it has fertilizer on, then it won't attach. So that's the theory. Now, what people have been trying to prove or trying to um, establish is would there be markers that show that asynchrony, that lack of synchrony with the embryo? People have looked at uh, 87, no, 70 years ago, a histopathologist uh, in America by the name of Noyes described day by day the structural changes that go on. And he showed that in a very tiny percentage of cases like 1% of women, the structural changes weren't appropriate for the time of the cycle, that a very rare event. And indeed, when he looked at them in the next cycle, that wasn't there. So it's not a re it doesn't happen every month, at least from a structural point of view. Now, today, and then, and then people looked at hormones 40 years ago, 30 years ago, and then people looked at the products that come from the end lining of the womb. In fact, my MD thesis was based around looking at those substances, and it proved nothing. And now today, people are using genetic testing of the samples of the lining of the womb, charging an arm and leg for it, and claiming that they can identify women who have a problem with the lining being out of sync in terms of its the genes that are being switched on and off at a particular moment of supposed receptivity. Just recently, a big randomized controlled trial carried out by one of the makers of this product, genetic testing product. Uh, showed no benefit to changing the regime in the next cycle, which is what the concept was going to be. You put the embryo back one or two days later if it was you know, out of sync in that direction or one or two days earlier if it was out of sync in the other direction. And in fact, it hasn't shown to be of value. So I have to say that even my, some of my colleagues who worked in the same clinic as that particular clinic uh, have abandoned doing what was called the ERA test altogether. And I certainly have never been convinced by the data. And I think it's now proven it's probably not worth doing. So it may be an issue, but we really don't know how to find it. And provided you've got enough progesterone on board, it's highly unlikely to be a real issue. And don't forget that you can access all the previous episodes by going to our website, www.theivfjourney.com and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu. Thank you for listening to The IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast which helps couples negotiate their way through the IVF journey all the way to parenthood. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him, michael.chapman at ivf.com.au. 